You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. You know, the scriptures convey an almost endless number of awe-inspiring claims about God. The Bible's just filled with all of these insane claims about who God is and what he's like. I'll give you a couple of examples. Do you know that in Revelation 19.6, we learn that God is almighty, meaning that there is nothing that he can't do. In Psalm 139, we learn that God is all-knowing. In Jeremiah 23.24, we learn that God is always present with us. In Psalm 103, verse 19, we learn that God is sovereign. In Deuteronomy 33, 27, we learn that God is eternal. So all of these incredible claims about God, and these few examples barely even scratch the surface of, again, what is an almost endless number of claims about who God is and what he's like. And while it might be impossible to really pick the single most significant attribute of God, I can confidently say which one is the most mind-blowing to me personally. Even after more than, I think at this point, I came to faith really young, so I've been reading the Bible for like 36 years and walking with God through all of that, and I still can't believe that God desires deep and genuine relationship with each of us. By far, that's the thing that I, I am the most amazed at about God. And so I want you to just, as best you can, to really think about that for a second that God wants relationship with you, not just blind servitude, but relationship with you. The eternal, transcendent, sovereign creator, savior, and sustainer of the universe longs for real relationship with you. And we know this because that is the overarching story of Scripture. And then most specifically, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus is looking out at world-weary disciples just like you and I, And he gives them a very simple invitation. He says, come to me. Come to me. Now, that's pretty significant because maybe you didn't get picked for the team in PE growing up. Many of us are still talking about that in therapy. You, You may not have been welcomed by the social circle that you desired. You may not have been hired by the employer of your dreams. You may not have been wanted by someone that you really loved. But make no mistake, the God who is bigger and better than all of that, he wants you to know him deeply. And this is why I would argue that prayer is the single most significant spiritual practice. I know that there is a wealth of spiritual practices, and so to make a claim that one is the most significant is a big claim. But I deeply believe that prayer is the single most significant spiritual practice. That if we are going to learn anything about how to live in relationship with God, we must learn how to pray. And the reason that I believe this is that prayer, in its most simple essence, is communication with God. And all relationships are built through communication. And so the more openly and honestly we share our lives with another person, the deeper that relationship grows. So there simply can't be real relationship with God apart from prayer. Now, prayer is definitely not the only significant spiritual practice, but without it, I would argue that the others simply don't work. Now, unfortunately, prayer is also fraught with problems, as many of us know. 
For instance, it's hard to talk to someone that we don't see. It's hard to talk to someone that we don't hear from audibly. We don't always know what to pray. We don't always know how to pray. Sometimes we're, we get so busy that we don't prioritize the importance of prayer. Sometimes I think we just confuse even the very purpose of prayer. And so prayer, admittedly, is just fraught with problems. And as a result, we often don't practice prayer to the depth that God invites us. But the good news is we aren't without help. The disciples of Jesus have literally always needed help with prayer. You know, in the, in the book of Luke, after listening to one of the times in which Jesus was praying audibly, you know, one of his disciples came to him and, and humbly asked, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Now here, as many people have commented on this, but I think that it is so unbelievable. Do you know that nowhere in the gospel accounts do the disciples ever ask Jesus to teach them how to preach? Not one time. They never come to Jesus, Lord, would you teach us how to preach? And Jesus was arguably the most gifted communicator of all time. But the disciples never came and said, hey, would you teach us how to preach? They never come to Jesus and they say, hey, the healing thing that you do is like pretty sick. Would you please teach us how to heal people like you do? Jesus was a phenomenal leader, yet the disciples never come and say, Lord, teach us to lead. They never come and say, Lord, teach us to do miracles. But there was something about the way that he prayed that when they heard him, it made them go, we got to learn how to talk to God like that. And so with the first disciples this morning, we're going to begin an almost two-month journey of inviting Jesus to teach us how to pray. And we're going to take that journey in Matthew chapter 6, which is Jesus teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And so I want to start this series together with a message entitled, The Heart of Prayer. We have to understand God's heart for prayer, the purpose of it, before we really get into the practicality of how to do it. And so to that end, I want to invite you, if you haven't yet, to open a Bible or a mobile app, if you have one, to Matthew 6. We're going to be uh, in verse 1 briefly, and then pick back up in verse 5. And so while you're finding Matthew 6, let me just give you a little context. You know that both Matthew and Luke contain sections with Jesus teaching this prayer. There's subtle differences, but, but not major ones. Now, Matthew places his body of teaching in the larger Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you are unfamiliar with Matthew's story, who wrote this gospel, there's, you can read about it in Matthew 9, uh, 9 to 13, but the two things about Matthew that are really important for you to know is that number one, he was Jewish, and number two, he was a tax collector. So what that means is Matthew would have been well acquainted with the reality of being hated by his own people, because as we have talked about many times, he'd chosen this profession working for the oppressive Roman government, and he made his living cheating his Jewish brothers and sisters. And despite that background, Jesus seeks him out, and he calls Matthew to follow him. And Matthew got to write scripture, which teaches us that there is no one that Jesus can't use. And so Matthew wrote this gospel sometime in the late 80s, or the early 60s to a primarily Jewish audience, and his intent was very specific. He was trying to show them that Jesus was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah, the Jewish people had been waiting for centuries for the Messiah to come. And so Matthew writes this gospel to go, look, it, it's Jesus. He is the Messiah. And so at this point in Jesus' earthly ministry, these great crowds are coming to hear him teach. 
And so Matthew says that Jesus sat down, which was the traditional teaching posture of most Jewish rabbis, and his disciples gathered around, and Jesus began to teach. And so as we drop into the middle of this body of teaching, Jesus is going to lay out his overarching premise in verse 1, which we're going to look at, and then he applies it in the context of three spiritual practices, giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at three faulty reasons to pray bad motivation for our prayer practice, and then we're going to close by highlighting God's heart for prayer according to Jesus. So we're going to start with these three faulty reasons to pray. Number one, if you're taking notes, is this. We don't pray for human praise. We don't pray for human praise. So look with me at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and then we're going to jump to verse 5, to where he begins to apply this to the context of prayer. So it starts like this. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Now look at verse 5. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, first thing I want you to notice is the urgency of the warning from Jesus beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, be careful. That means that, that what he has to say demands our attention. This isn't something to be treated lightly. It's important. There's urgency here, and it has everything to do with the motive behind everything that we do. So we're looking at this specifically in the context of prayer, but it really has to do with our lives in general. Who do we live to be seen by? And so Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, the phrase that's translated in front of literally means for the purpose of. So the issue here for Jesus is not other people seeing your righteous life. In fact, if we back up just one chapter in Matthew 5, Jesus actually says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's in Matthew 5.16. And so the issue isn't being seen by others as living a righteous life. The issue is wanting to be seen so that people will perceive you as righteous. So it's doing something, not ultimately for God's glory, but because of your own ego. And so Jesus says we have to be so careful not to do this with prayer. Now, if you don't know, the Jewish people actually followed a rhythm of three prescribed prayer times each day. They prayed once in the morning, they prayed in the afternoon, typically around 3 p.m., and then their a final time in the evening. And so what this meant is, no matter what they were doing, no matter where they were, they would stop at that prescribed time, and they were going to pray. Now, on the one hand, these like fixed hour prayers is a practice that would serve us well to consider, now what would it look like for us to adopt a similar practice of building reoccurring times of prayer in our lives? But the problem was, Because of the prescribed time of specifically that midday prayer, the hypocrites, as Jesus calls them, they were able to specifically order their day in a way that they would strategically find themselves in these very public places and then make this big scene as they participated in this apparently righteous practice. Now, the word 
that we translate as hypocrite comes from the Greek word that specifically was used to speak of actors uh, who, as you know, play a part and whose words are spoken for effect, not to convey truth. And so Jesus says this is what we're like when we position ourselves in order to be seen as righteous by others in prayer. Now, one way that this certainly happens in our own culture more and more is by broadcasting our spirituality or broadcasting our righteousness on social media. It's very, very common. And it can be very uh, deceptive how commonplace it can be in our lives. Like, I don't know about you, I for sure posted a picture at some point in my life of like my Bible and my journal and some book I'm reading with a caption about spending time with God in the morning. And when I reflect on my own heart in that moment, I confess to having like this junk drawer of motivation inside of me. Now, on the one hand, I love Jesus and I really love talking about him. And I want to encourage others to spend time with him and to model for people how to actually do that. And there's this very embarrassing part of my heart that wants people to be impressed and to think I'm spiritual because I've spent time with God. And this is something, again, social media may not be the medium that you use, but I know that all of us long to be thought of as thought of highly by other people. And so here is Jesus' very sobering warning. He is saying to us that praying in order to gain the attention of others will rob you of any heavenly reward. It just takes that away. So that praise, when people are like, wow, you pray at 5 a.m.? You are very spiritual. That little momentary bit of praise, that's the totality of the reward. That's all you get. So we forfeit anything that might lead to more depth with God, more blessing from God, more response to God, because all we're really after is this momentary praise from another person. And so remember, this is the overarching point Jesus is trying to convey here. We will have no reward or any righteousness that is motivated by the praise of people. Instead, Jesus says that we should labor to keep our prayer lives secret and private between God and ourselves. Now, Jesus is in no way talking about corporate prayer meetings or when we stand together and we pray the Lord's Prayer all together. Jesus is not saying we shouldn't do that. What he's saying is we don't do anything by way of righteous acts in order to gain the praise of people. We don't pray for human praise. Here's number two. Number two is we don't pray to manipulate God. We don't pray to manipulate God. Look at verse seven. Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. Gentiles is any non-Jewish person in this context. He says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine that they will be heard for their many words. So Jesus here is dealing with this fallacy that we can somehow control God's response to our prayers through the words that we use. There was, and there continues to be within much modern paganism and also many world religions, there's this practice of saying mantras over and over again or reciting incantations or rote prayers, and they're repeated under the belief that the quantity will inform the response of the deity being prayed to. Now, that is not to say there's anything wrong with using pre-written prayers. That's what the Psalms are. There's no problem there. There's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer even multiple times a day. The problem is the motive. Everything Jesus says in these preliminary 
verses is all about the motive of prayer. See, sometimes we pray in a manner not unlike the way that kids petition their parents. Every parent with a kid who can talk knows the feeling of folding under the incessant repetition of a child's request to do something or to go somewhere or to have something. This happens almost every day in our house with video games. The moment lunch is done, it begins. Can we play games? Dad, Dad, can we play games? And I, yesterday, another, we were at the airport waiting to pick up Tammy and Ava. I told my boys I was going to share this story. So uh, I didn't ask their permission. I just said I was going to. <laughs> so we're sitting there waiting for them to come, and there's a, a blue lemon, I think is what it's called. Uh, it's like a bad version of Panera, basically. Right across where we were waiting, and they just kept going, can we get a muffin? Can we get a muffin? Can we get a muffin? And I... Thankfully, I held strong on the muffin thing. On the video games, not so much. Because by the time it's happened, like the third or fourth time, every parent knows what it is to get to the point where you're like, you can do whatever will make this stop. I don't care what it is. And, and, and here's the thing. If we're not careful, we can pray like this. Thinking, man, if we just say certain words enough, then God is going to be more inclined to do what we want. Or maybe he will get so tired of our nagging that he will respond to us in the way that we want. Sometimes we mistakenly believe that if we just prayed longer, more eloquent prayers that are sound more righteous, they are better and more inclined to get Jesus' response than simple and short ones. But Jesus reminds us that God isn't some petulant deity that we have to nag or that we have to impress in order to get his intention. He is a good and generous father who actually longs to help us. Now again, the issue is not length or even repetition. We know from Luke chapter 6, verse 12, that Jesus had a tendency to pray all night long. He told the disciples to pray always and not grow weary in Luke 18.1. In Matthew 26, Jesus repeats the same prayer three times. So again, the issue is not length. The issue is not repetition. The issue is motive. The reality is a few words of sincere prayer are superior to hours of empty words. So let go of the pressure to pray fancy. Just pray like you talk. Don't try to impress God with your words. Just pray in the same simple manner that you would talk to anyone. We don't pray for human praise, and we don't pray to manipulate God. And then finally, number three, we don't pray to inform God. We don't pray to inform God. Let's finish in verse 8. He says, don't be like them, talking about the Gentiles, because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Now, I can keep this point relatively short. Because God is all-knowing, we never pray to inform him of something he doesn't know. Now, sometimes... When life gets painful for us, we think things like, is God just not paying attention to me? Does he not know how hard this is and how deeply I'm hurting? And so as a result of those thoughts that are normative and creep in, we start to pray like we're looping him in. Well, maybe God just doesn't have all the information and I need to give it to him. But the truth is he already knows everything. That's what all-knowing means. Now, the beauty of that is that no one will ever understand us better than God. He understands us more than we understand ourselves, more than we understand ourselves. And so all of this really brings us to one big question. 
And that question is, if we don't pray for human praise, if we don't pray to somehow manipulate God or control God into doing what we want, if we don't pray in order to inform God, then what is the point? What is the heart of prayer? And that brings us to our big idea this morning, which is this. Prayer is the path to relationship with our perfect Father. That's what prayer is about from God's vantage point. Not getting Him to do everything for us, though as a result of prayer and through prayer, God does respond to our needs, but that isn't the ultimate goal of it. Prayer is the path to relationship with our perfect Father. We pray in order to know God more. And as we learn to pray in the ways that Jesus is going to teach us, something incredible does happen. We come to know his heart and his will more clearly. We come to know and to understand and to experience his provision more personally. We know his forgiveness more deeply. We come to know his protection more tangibly. And so what happens is we move from faith as this sort of body of anxious rituals where we're like praying, oh God, I need you to do all of this stuff. We move from that to faith as an intimate relationship. Prayer is the path to relationship with our perfect Father. And I just want to acknowledge that anytime we talk about God as Father, there is a significant sum of the population that really, that grates against them. And the reason for that is the number of us who have had really bad experiences with the person in our life that we know to be Father. And so next week, as we move into the body of this prayer, we're, we're going to unpack uh, that very thing. So if there's anything in you that's like resistant even to the title of this series, which is Our Father, I just want to encourage you to like stay with us in the midst of it and know that God wants to bring healing in the midst of that, not just because of your bad experience that you get a new name to use for God, but to redeem your understanding of what the word Father even means. But all of that's coming next week. For now, I just want to close by saying that at each week uh, of this series, I want to give you a specific invitation that is tied to whatever aspect of prayer that we're practicing. So this week, I just want to simply invite you to think differently about what prayer even is. Rather than thinking of it as a means of impressing other people, rather than think of it as a means of controlling, manipulating, or informing God, I want you to simply begin to think of it as the path to deeper relationship with him. Now, here's what I know. No relationship is forged by a single conversation. There's never a time in your life when you have one conversation with someone, and all of a sudden you're like, well, this just became the deepest, most perfect relationship on the planet. That's not how it happens. It's the collection and the accumulation of open and honest conversations over a lifetime that both strengthen and sustain any relationship, including our relationship with God. So what that means is we need to let go of the expectation that prayer should make us feel a particular way or that we should experience something specific. Because what I've encountered with people is people go, oh, I, I tried praying once and I don't, nothing really happened, and so I don't do it anymore. Well, that totally misses the heart of prayer. Our primary purpose is always to go a little bit deeper with God each day. Think about how many conversations we have with one another that are forgettable, 
because they aren't particularly deep, they aren't particularly impactful, but it's, some of them are, and it's the accumulation of those conversations over a lifetime that strengthen and sustain relationship. And so we have to keep fixed in our mind that the purpose of prayer, more than anything else, is just to go a little bit deeper with God each day. Prayer is the path to relationship with our perfect Father. And so let's seek God in secret this week and get to know him a little bit better. Will you pray with me? Father, we do thank you that your heart is for us. That you are not against us, that you are not opposed to us. You love us. You are with us. You long for us to know you more. You want to be our helper, our comforter, our provider, and our protector. And Lord, so much of our prayer problems come down to not really knowing you for who you really are. So Lord, maybe even more than teaching us how to pray these next few weeks, I pray that you would teach us more about who you are and what you're like. Because if we really see you, know you, and experience you for who you are, we will pray. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take us deeper and deeper into this, deeper and deeper into you, and that more than anything else, we would begin to experience prayer for the gift that you intended to be. So, Lord, would you take us deeper each day with you? And we thank you for the great gift it is that you want to talk to us and hear from us. So, Lord, with your disciples, we ask that you would teach us to pray.